Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and our Seattle Seahawks are playing for an NFC West title coming up this Sunday night against the San Francisco 49ers. And here to talk about it is Oscar Aparicio of the Better Rivals Podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Oscar, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I do have one question for you off the top, and it's really going to be about whether or not Marshawn Lynch is going to be uh, over or under 260 pounds. <laughs> Ooh, you know, I think he looked relatively fit. I, you know, the they could have brought in C.J. Anderson, and uh, you know, I bet he's got the over on uh, on the 260 bills. Yeah, you know, I think that that C.J. Anderson is proof that you do not need to be slim in order to play running back successfully. But you know, as as a Niners fan, I, I am a little buoyed by the fact that Marshawn Lynch was drinking Hennessy and eating a twelve hundred dollar cheeseburger on a YouTube video uh, just uh, in October, actually. So my, my hope is that he's uh, not quite in football shape. You know what? He was probably doing that in the Seahawks uniform too. We never know. Uh, yeah. it's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's going to be a big one. It, it, it always comes down uh, seemingly to this when both teams are relevant. It's never been an easy path uh, to the Super Bowl, whether it be in those, you know, those 2013, uh, you know, 2014, even 2012. You know, those were some pretty epic games and didn't seem like, you know, I thought maybe the Niners would be able to get one up. But no, it comes down to it. Week 17, man, for all basically all the marbles, because whomever wins is going to have a much easier path to, to the Super Bowl. Yeah, fortunately for the 49ers, a number one seed, probably more likely on the line. I know there's some other things that could happen that could uh, give the Seahawks the number one seed as well. It would have been nice to get the win over the Cardinals last week. And then we could have known for sure that, you know, it's just number one seed or number five seed. As far as you're concerned, though, for the 49ers, I, I mean, obviously you're you're rooting for a number one seed, but you know, really, the number five is a pretty good consolation prize when you look at the NFC East. Yeah, you know, it, it would be a consolation prize, but at the same time, you never know how teams match up against you. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, the Seahawks, I think, are a prime example of a team that doesn't really deserve the home game, but once they have it, they do the most with it. And of course, it's fitting that Marshawn Lynch has come back to. Seattle because it was that was the year when y'all won the division at seven and nine right and you end up having beast quake right. and and you don't go uh, you know it just that's why you play the game ultimately and so while yes I would love to play whomever wins the NFC East but quite frankly it doesn't mean that it's necessarily locked up so that's why I think this is going to be really important uh, you make a good point because the Cowboys have shown they're one of those teams that can play up and down to any opponent. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, once they get in the playoffs, you know, they can be dangerous. And Carson Wentz, you know, has shown that he can be a guy who can lead the team in the playoffs. So it is a bit of a concern going forward because you do want that playoff game at home. And this is going to be tough because the 49ers, they have to go on the road to do it. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, with Jimmy Garoppolo relatively early in his career, has there been a game that has been as big as this game coming up in Seattle? Yeah, you know, I think that the when the Niners say that they are battle-tested, I think they are indeed battle-tested over this last four and maybe even eight weeks. You think about the game in Seattle. That was a huge game. I mean, that absolutely felt like a playoff game. Uh, the the game against Green Bay was a warm-up to that game. And so I do think, and I think the, even the Rams game, you know, as, as hard-fought as that game was, 
I mean, two third and 16 back to back is just ridiculous. The, the team has been a little uneven. I think they played, you know, a little up and down football and a lot of that's rested on the up and downs of Jimmy Garoppolo. But when it comes to ready to face a big test, especially in the loud environment, I do think that New Orleans game was a bit of the, the training wheels for a game like this. And, and even the game at home against uh, Seattle, I think that was also a similarly playoff atmosphere yeah. type game. I mean, the last four games have all come down to the final possession of the final minutes. So I think that this team is, is aware of what this is like, even if th- this collection of players is not yet uniquely aware of what it's like to play in the clink. Well, and I'm just more thinking, too, in terms of Jimmy Garoppolo and his career, though. Yeah, he's had big games where he's played, you know, on on big stages in front of big crowds. And but there hasn't been anything quite like it in the terms of what it means. You know, yeah, both teams have a playoff spot locked up, but for a chance to get the number one seed potentially and win the NFC West. That is a really big moment. And I just I contrast that with I I know Jimmy Garoppolo is not a guy like Kirk Cousins who just can't win on Monday night or anything, but he just hasn't been tested in a moment quite like this. I know you point to New Orleans and that kind of thing, but, but it is different to me. Yeah, I could see how, how you'd get there. And I think there's definitely a lack of experience over, like I think over the course of a career, but I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is one of those players that much like Andrew Luck needed to get hit before he really got up for a game. And I think when you look at some of the things that Jimmy Garoppolo has done over the course of the year, I mean, you talk about the two third and 16s, you talk about the games against Arizona where he had to put the game on his shoulders. It seems like when you need Jimmy Garoppolo to come and and bring the game and the pressure's on that he begins to play a bit better than when maybe things aren't going his way. Uh, You know, there's, there's no numbers or stats to back that up. That's just the impression that I get. I feel like he does rise to the occasion and like some other quarterbacks and to where some of his aggressive tendencies pay off. Um, And so I do think that while, you know, he's not going to have the, the long resume of of playoff games and kind of, you know, seeding games that someone like a Russell Wilson will have, um, you know, I think this is going to be the beginning of of that stretch for him and, and it all starts sometime. Well, and Garoppolo has been playing pretty well down the stretch. I mean, you start off with that Green Bay game where he was, you know, played lights out. Uh, I mean, he only really had to complete 14 to 20 passes in that game, but, uh, you know, one of his better games of the season. And uh, then you go on to Baltimore. Yeah, it's a loss, but it's a, a close game. It's on the road. Another playoff atmosphere type game. New Orleans, he wins in a shootout. So you've seen him win different ways. And uh, when you look at that New Orleans game, when you look at the Rams game, what he was able to do, uh, late in games, I, I would expect that fills you with a little bit of optimism coming into this game. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you think about this season and and his best game was the game where the team needed him most and where they were going up one of the more quality defenses that they faced all year, and that was that game against New Orleans. Um, I mean, it's one of his highest PFF grades of the year. Um, it's also where he was obviously the one directing the attack. Um, whereas you look at some other games like the Baltimore game, not a super great game, but you know, everything around him, you know, was, uh, was doing a little bit better. The defense is playing better. I think, especially, um, well up until that last drive where Baltimore was able to bleed the clock for about six minutes or so. Um, and even the game against LA, I mean, he had a couple of third and 16 darts, um, but LA was able to take away his receivers and make him hold the ball. And, and they were able to get, you know, five sacks on him. So it, it definitely is a game where it's like, yeah, he seems to rise to the occasion. Um, and and uh, he's going to need to against Seattle because I, I think that the defense is not going to play as well as they played in the first meeting. I mean, it was pretty much a perfect defensive performance in the first meeting against Russell Wilson. It's exactly what you needed. You needed a red zone turnover. You needed a strip at the two-yard line. You know, everything went well for that defense. 
And now without D Ford, they're not going to get as much pressure, I think, on Russell Wilson. They're probably going to give up more points. They're not going to be able to hold them out in the red zone, I think. And so, whereas before, I think the offense could get by with not being as successful as they, as they have in other games, I think that the offense is going to have to put up some points. As far as you're concerned with the defense, I look back and over the last four games, the 49ers defense averaging 31 points allowed. And now some of those might have come from special team scores or whatever, but still 31 points. You're asking a lot for your offense to try and have to put up that many points on average week after week. Yeah, you know, the defense, I think a lot's being made about, you know, their lack of sacks and the number of points that they're giving up. I think that given the schedule they face in the early part of the year and given the, the quality of the opponent and given just how well that defense performed, they were bound to regress a little bit towards that defensive mean. And, and that makes sense. They're facing better offenses um, and they've had to face some injuries as well. But I do think that the defense has still been playing to a relatively high level. I think you look at the game against the, the Baltimore Ravens, chief among them. I mean, they, they held the Ravens to one of their lowest point totals on the year. And this is the team that came in super hot against that defense, um, you know, against just a couple weeks ago. I think you, you look at the game uh, against Atlanta and they had uh, held the, the Falcons to just 10 points late into the third and early fourth quarter. And then it's just, you know, kind of two drives where Atlanta did most of their damage. So it is, I think, one of the those instances where the defense has been playing fine. They've been making some, uh, they've been playing well, but they just, the offense can't get into those positive game script situations that they were early on in the year. And it didn't allow them to tee off. And, and I do think that the loss of D Ford is huge because it means that teams can pay a ton of attention to Nick Bosa. And that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, they're starting out with a tight end on him and then passing him off to the tackle. They're chipping him with the running back. They're able to slide their protection um, and not have to worry about uh, you know, what's happening on the other side. And Eric Armstead's having a career year, but he doesn't have that same kind of explosion off the line that someone like D Ford has. Well, and the Seahawks are definitely going to be concerned about that coming into this game because last week against the Cardinals, just allowing Chandler Jones to wreak havoc uh, with uh, Jamarco Jones filling in at left tackle. Dwayne Brown sounds like he's going to be out for the probably the season. And so Nick Bosa up against Jamarco Jones, likely, you know, they're going to have to find ways to take care of him. Hopefully, as a Seahawks fan, we're going to see similar to what the Rams did and, and try and roll Russell Wilson out of the pocket a little bit more. That worked for a little while with Jared Goff and but the 49ers they were able to kind of figure that out toward the end of the game too. Yeah, so what the Niners ended up doing it's a really smart adjustment when when you saw Goff go out and start doing all those rollouts. I mean, that that first half Goff rolled out 10 times. He was 9 for 10 for 98 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he was just eating the defense up just on straight rollouts and what first Sala did was he started to replace even against two tight end sets, he replaced that weak side linebacker with uh, K1 Williams. And so K1 Williams is better able and more equipped since, you know, he's actually a coverage defender to, to stay on that underneath kind of tight end or whomever was doing that underneath route. That's the first adjustment. But then when you get to the second half, they basically just abandoned run responsibilities with their defensive ends and sent them straight up field. Typically that backside defensive end is going to try and crash down and make sure that there's no cutback lane on an outside zone. Uh, but instead they just sent him straight up the field, say run responsibility be damned. And that's what happened to, to Jared Goff. And, and when you look at what he did in the second half on those rollouts, he was just two for eight for 24 yards. So 
that's that's what they will likely do is they'll likely send their defensive ends or they'll bring uh, nickel pressure, which is something Robert Thala loves to do a lot. Uh, and K1 Williams is indeed an effective blitzer off the edge. So I think you'll see a little mix of all of those things. And I think you'll see a very, very, very a varied defensive plan uh, against Seattle because they, they know they have to win this game. Yeah, and I do kind of wonder, too, against the Rams, I suppose you can kind of give up on that philosophy of, okay, we'll allow the run to beat us because the you know we just haven't seen Todd Gurley playing up to his normal level that, that we've been used to. But now, uh, coming into this game, and I, I am kind of curious how you feel like Marshawn Lynch, how much action he's going to get in this game. But, you know, even with that, we saw the Seahawks run Travis Homer, Robert Turbin's coming back. I know they're still going to have a little bit of a run game. I don't know if I necessarily see Seattle abandoning the run game, even though you have guys just coming in that are haven't been with the team all year. Yeah, I don't think they'll abandon the run game. I think Marshall Lynch will get somewhere on the order of 12 carries or so. Um, and, and I think he'll probably get some of those high-value carries. He'll get maybe goal-line carries, things like that. But what, what Marshawn Lynch at this point in his career is not is as explosive as Chris Carson. And, and that's the worry with Carson is that he, may, he breaks one tackle and he's off to the races. And he is, you know, that, that's the kind of running back that you want. He is effectively you know, the, the Raheem Mostert of the world, if you're going to look at the comparable uh, running back for, for San Francisco. And, and I do think that you are going to see less explosive runs from Seattle. And quite frankly, if they want to keep running it, that's great. Because, you know, when they're running it, that means that Russell Wilson is not throwing it. And he is the most dangerous part of that Seattle offense. So if Pete Carroll wants to keep putting it in the ball in, in the belly of Marshawn Lynch, I think that's good for the 49ers ultimately, um, because that means Russell Wilson is not throwing it because he is absolutely deadly and pinpoint. And at home, he's really tough to beat. This game coming up on Sunday, going to be a big one, and we're going to get into what they need to do to shut down George Kittle right after this. Talking to Oscar Aparicio of the Better Rivals podcast, part of SB Nation, sbnation.com slash NFL podcast to subscribe to this show, subscribe to their show. And uh, coming up this week in the Sunday's game between the Seahawks and 49ers, George Kittle, he wasn't a part of the game. You know how I know about it, Oscar, is because every single 49ers fan that was complaining about the loss, it was, oh, well, we didn't have George Kittle. There were so many other injuries. George Kittle, George Kittle, George Kittle. And uh, I, I don't necessarily blame that uh, as, a, as a 49ers fan for taking that argument, though, because Kittle has been such a big part of the 49ers offense this year. Like George Kittle at this point is having one of the best tight end seasons for uh, really in, in a long, long time. This is like Gronk level season for George Kittle. And he's doing a lot of his damage in the passing game. And he is absolutely Jimmy Garoppolo's, uh, his safety blanket. This, that's who he looks to on third downs. That's who he looks to when he needs to check the ball down and get the ball out quickly. That is his playmaker. That's who he likes to go to. And so not having him in that Seattle game, it was, it was a really, really big deal. Um, and so having him back is going to be crucial. Now, when teams have been able to limit George Kittle's damage, they've put either an athletic safety um, or an athletic linebacker on him and basically just try to hold him and man him up as closely as humanly possible. Buda Baker had some, had some, some success in Arizona, especially in the first quarter, but eventually George Kittle ends up winning that matchup. Um, I think Baltimore had some success as well. Um, with their linebackers and with their safety, being able to cover him one-on-one. And, and you see a lot of teams successfully run 
uh, you're going to get man coverage across the board and do a single high safety. And so I think that that's, you, you, I don't know that Seattle's going to run a lot of that. Their defense played fairly well against the Niners the last time they played. Um, but I do think that you're going to get someone like Bobby Wagner, maybe one of the safeties on him. Um, and if you can man him up and hold him, the referees seem to be letting him play. At least they did against Los Angeles. And so, you know, Seattle would like to get a little grabby and test their limits a little early on. So we'll see if it's going to be one of those grabby games. Hey, don't even talk to me about the Seahawks guys being grabby. <laughs> Go back to that last last game and just watch the 49ers DBs and, and how grabby they were, okay? And that was... Hey, man, we got the originator of the get grabby strategy on the team now. And that's Richard Sherman, man. He and Robert Sala, who, who came up under the that's Pete right. Carroll defense. So you guys know. <laughs> Absolutely, we know, man. We know the tricks. All, it, it's only a penalty if it gets called. Yeah, and That's you're playing it off like, oh, Seattle's so bad. <laughs> of course, you guys are terrible at it. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I, I do hope that they're better at it uh, in this game. And yeah, hopefully we aren't uh, don't get one of those referee crews that call every single uh, holding penalty. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I am concerned about George Kittle, and I don't know. You know, Bobby Wagner, if, you, if you're talking about lining him up on the tight end, he hasn't done all that great with tight ends, especially, you know, if it's a tight end crossing across the field. Wagner just doesn't, he seems to be a step short of of where he was in previous years. So we might need a little bit more athleticism to go with it. I just, you know, you talk about him being Gronk. It, the crazy thing is, is I don't look at a guy like Kittle and see a, a tight end like Gronk. I mean, he doesn't have... The speedness, he definitely doesn't have the size that Gronk did. So just what is it about Kittle that's that's been so special? So with Kittle, you know, there's there's the athleticism. I think he's a better athlete than Gronk was. And you're right, he's not as big, but he does play really, really big. So there's a couple of things that make Kittle, the, I think, the best tight end in football. And that's both his ability to receive the ball, his ability after the catch, and then his ability as a run blocker. When you think of what he does, uh, actually just getting open and his athleticism and his speed, that's something that not, not a lot of people have. He was the most explosive athlete uh, at the tight end position his draft year. Uh, he drafted, he fell all the way to the fifth round, but he was uh, ath- uh, the best athlete in a ridiculously athletic class. And, and so you, you take that and then you pair that with his just after the catch ability to try to make people tackle him. Now, this is a, a, something that the tight ends coach, John Embry, told him when he was you know, just a rookie. He said, you know what? Make people tackle you. Do not get out of bounds and, and just basically make them take you down. And if you do, you'll find that over time, they'll start making business decisions. And that's exactly what happens. You look at Kittle and he seeks that contact out, which is why he breaks so many tackles. I think coming into this week, he's got something like 15 or 16 forced missed tackles. Um, and I mean, you saw it in the game against New Orleans where he's dragging someone, grabbing his face mask for 15 yards. You see it regularly where uh, against Arizona, he catches the ball and dips his shoulder. Someone just basically tries to give him an arm tackle. He runs right through it and scores a touchdown. And this is a weekly occurrence for him. It's because of his mindset and his philosophy that no one's going to bring him down. And then as a run blocker, just his, his technique on the edge is is really, really good. And, and the Niners do like to run to George Kittle's side a lot. And he is a phenomenal run blocker. And so I think he's probably more well-rounded than Gronkowski, especially this year. Who knows whether or not he's going to be able to sustain it over the number of seasons that Gronkowski has, because that's the other thing if you're going to be put in that same category. Is like, you know, there are tight ends that have a season or two like Gronk, but very few that have many as consistently good as Gronk did. But in this one season, uh, what he's been able to do at that position is, is remarkable. You say that George Kittle is Garoppolo's safety blanket, but 
I look at the stats for Emmanuel Sanders, and I know he came to this, the team halfway through the season, and I don't know if this is a mistake, but I'm, I'm seeing 49 targets, but I know he played for Denver. That, 49 targets, is that just for San Francisco? Um, it, it very well could be. Um, I'll take a look here in a minute, but Emmanuel Sanders is someone who did quickly get a rapport with Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's important. Um, that Arizona game, I think he showed some some timing passes that were really, really good. And, of course, you've got the deep shot against Los Angeles. But Emmanuel Sanders is exactly the type of receiver that Shanahan loves, and, and that's a really good receiver getting open at the top of the route. He does it um, with such veteran savvy. I mean, he leans into his corner and then breaks to the other side and gets the hand a little uh, so that he can get some separation at the top of the route. His injury, I think, set him back a bit. Getting uh, you know, your ribs messed up in football is, is not good. Um, but he seems to be fully back and fully healthy. Um, and, and that's, I think, a really, really good thing to do. I don't think that number is a you mistake. Know, He's got 93 targets on the year. So, yeah, the 49 the just year? for his time in San Francisco. That's wild. Well, there you go. I mean, it makes sense. He, I mean, you think of the the wide receivers for the Niners has really become settled over the last probably six or seven weeks. And whereas early on in the year, you had this kind of parade of like, is it Dante Pettis? Is it going to be Kendrick Bourne? They didn't have Manuel Sanders at the time. What about Debo Samuel? We signed Jordan Matthews for a bit. Um, you know, there, there were some injuries there that contributed to that as well. But Shanahan is really locked in on his starting trio of wide receivers, and that's going to be Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, and Kendrick Bourne as that third receiver. I mean, Dante Pettis at this point is a forgotten man in San Francisco. He no longer, he didn't play any snaps on offense uh, against the Rams last week. For, for those that are familiar with Pettis from his playing days at Washington, um, you know, hey, he may be a Seahawk in a couple of years. Who knows? <laughs> I think there's still some people that would like to to have him back. But, uh, you know, you have yeah. your trio of wide receivers. You guys have your trio of running backs, too. Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida. I mean, the fact that you're rotating through those three guys, keeping them all healthy, I think that's something as a Seahawks fan now having so many injuries just piling up at the running back spot. I, I'm a little bit envious. Yeah, yeah. I could see how you would be envious. I mean, I think that the the finding of those running backs is is definitely good and I love them. You know, you know that Matt Breida's near and dear and partial to my heart, despite the fact that he got zero snaps last week. But I think that this just proves that, you know, you get an explosive athlete back there and you can make a lot out of that running back position as long as you've got really good blocking schemes and a dominant line. Um, you know, you don't need to go and spend a bajillion dollars on a running back or, or draft a Rashad Penny. You know, you can get Chris Carson, you can get players like that, and they can be very successful for you at the running back position. And I'm glad I've got Raheem Mostert, man. He's proven over the last three, four weeks that he's basically wrestled the, the starting running back spot or really the lead back spot because Shanahan still gives the cursory start nod to Tevin Coleman. And then basically after that initial drive, Mostert comes in, gets the most amount of carries. Um, and then you've got Matt Breida who comes in when they're trying to run or hit some things to the outside since he's a better kind of outside zone runner and, and isn't going to be as good at what those bend back runs that he likes to have Mostert have uh, in the middle of the field. So it's a, it's a good problem to have, man. I'm, I'm really glad the Niners have the, that true of running backs. And, you know, one thing for Seahawks fans to watch out for is Raheem Mostert. He does have a bit of a fumbling problem. And so if it is indeed raining, um, you will see him clutch that ball. But he's, he's put the ball on the ground a couple of times, even if he hasn't lost uh, as many fumbles uh, over the course of the years he's actually put on the ground. I mean, he has a fumbling problem, but doesn't your quarterback, uh, Jimmy G, have a bit of a fumbling problem, too? He does. He does. And, and luckily, it hasn't been an issue over the last couple of weeks, although he did try almost to fumble the ball against the Rams. He tried to, as he was in the grass, throw it out and someone knocked the ball away. He was able to recover it. But 
that that definitely was one of the contributing factors when the Niners lost against Seattle. I mean, you had some pressure get in there and he just got really loose with the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo is, is an aggressive quarterback. He wants to push the ball into the intermediate areas of the field. And sometimes he will pass on his check down to wait to see if someone will break open in the middle of the field in just a second longer. And, and oftentimes that means that that is long enough for the pressure to get there. Um, and, and he is a little loose with the ball and has been this season. So that definitely is a concern. It really is. But if there is rain, and I, don't, I think I saw in the forecast there might be rain, but I haven't checked it in a couple of days to know what the forecast is right now. But the Niners have played some pretty sloppy games and, you know, mud bowls already. So they've, they've already been tested with that a couple of times this year. And so I think they'll, they'll be well equipped. So what do you have to do to really shake Jimmy G and from what you've seen so far this season? You know, you talk about taking away some of those intermediate routes and, and allowing pressure to get there. But, you know, I'm a little bit concerned because I don't know if Jadevian Clowney is going to be healthy to have, you know, or if he can even have that same type of monster game that he had down in Santa Clara. So, you know, we're counting on other guys too. I know Al Woods is out and, uh, you know, Ziggy Anza hasn't been quite the guy that we've expected this year. So I I am a little bit concerned about how they're going to be able to ruffle Jimmy G in this game. If they can't put pressure on him with four guys, because I think they're going to have to do it with four guys, especially when you consider the types of weapons that, that Garoppolo has to throw to and George Kittle being on the field in this game. Yeah, I, I do think that the teams that have been successful against the Niners and against Garoppolo are teams that can man up well against their wide receivers. And when you play some some heavy cover one schemes, I think Baltimore is a prime example of this. And Los Angeles, even in the first uh, in the first meeting against the Niners, did this as well. When you're able to man up against the wide receivers, I think Jimmy Garoppolo needs, uh, at least right now in his career, needs to see a little bit larger window for someone to be open than someone like Russell Wilson. I think Russell Wilson sees like a couple inches of separation and he's like, I can fit the ball in there and he can. He's that good. Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think is quite there yet. So I think he needs a little bit more space for him to consider a wide receiver, quote unquote, open. And that means that he holds the ball just a, a, a beat longer than sometimes he needs to. And if you're playing tight man coverage and you can play tight man coverage, you do close those windows down. You cause him to hold on to the ball a little bit longer. And especially with the, the center, Weston Richburg, not playing, you may be able to get some interior pressure, especially if you start twisting your inside players um, or looping your end around and doing some TE stunts. And so I think if you're looking for a, a successful plan that Seattle might employ, it's going to be man, it's going to be some blitzes, and it's going to be some interior line twists to get to Garoppolo because Garoppolo has made some turnover, you know, some turnover plays, man. And, and that's what worries me um, because he's not a huge big play guy. Uh, but so far this year, he's got a turnover worthy play on just about three and a half percent of his plays. Um, and so that's fumbles as well as interceptions. It's not super duper high. Someone like Jared Goff is going to be over 4%. Um, and Jameis Winston's in like the five and 6% uh, kind of area. But if Garoppolo can indeed stay clean, that's where he's deadly. I mean, his quarterback rating went clean is 110.5. It's exactly what you would expect for a good quarterback when they're not pressured, when they have a clean pocket, what can they control, what they can reproduce is good quarterback play. Uh, for comparison, Russell Wilson, 115.7. So they're about the same when it comes to uh, playing in a clean pocket. Um, the difference is, of course, that when under pressure, uh, Wilson plays a little bit better. Um, and Wilson, of course, doesn't turn the ball over nearly as much um, and is better on those deep shots. So, you know, I think you're right to worry that if you cannot get pressure on Garoppolo and you give him time, he will pick you apart because he is that good of a quarterback. Yep. And that is my big worry about this game going forward. So uh, with all that said, 
Oscar, what are your predictions? It does look like rain may be in the forecast about 60% right now. I don't know how that breaks out in terms of hourly. Maybe with it being an evening game, it, it could be uh, that uh, that's just rain carrying over from the previous day. It's a similar forecast for Saturday. So uh, with all that said, what, what do you predict is going to happen for San Francisco in this game? I think it's going to be another tight game. I think it's going to be another squeaker. Um, I, I could probably stand and not see another game-winning kick for maybe another year and a half. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that's. I don't think that, <laughs> that I'm going to get that. I think I'm going to get a super tight game. The Niners are currently favored by three. Um, in some cases, three and a half. I don't even know that they'll cover. I think it's going to be that tight of a game. I, I do think they'll end up winning, um, just because of the return of George Kittle, um, as well as some of the injuries that now the Seahawks have to worry about but ultimately i think this game can come down to and can be summed up by which team has the best quarterback and that that team is the seattle seahawks and so i think if seattle wins it's going to be because the you know russell wilson is going to have a russell wilson game and the defense isn't going to do all the ridiculous turnover things that they did for the 49ers in the last meeting but i think it's going to be another great one another another nail biter but I do think the Niners will pull out a squeaker in the end. Well, let's hope for a good game on Sunday because it is the last game of the regular season of the entire NFL schedule. And it's kind of fun that we get to be in that slot and playing for such big stakes. Oscar, really want to thank you for taking time, especially on uh, your Christmas holiday, coming on the show, breaking it down. And uh, you guys got your Better Rivals show out this week, too, that people can go check out. Yeah, we did. We recorded it a little bit early, so it's uh, it's going to have some of the Seattle breakdown and then a lot of the Rams review as well. So it's up on Niners Nation and it's up on all the same places you get the uh, the pods. So definitely give it a listen if you want to. Uh, it's near the end of the show, probably the last 20 minutes or so if you want to just skip ahead. <laughs> well, appreciate you coming on. And, and you know what? Seahawks fans, they probably want to listen to you know how much you had to just white knuckle it through that Rams game. That, that might be kind of fun to listen to. I, I know I enjoyed it. So uh, definitely check that out. Oscar, uh, thanks for coming on the show all these times I, I missed you earlier on in the season but i'm glad we got to do it here for the the final game of the regular season it's an annual tradition we've always got to do at least one whether it be on your pot or mine uh and i'm glad that we've, we've now kept it up god this is year four now four or five. Oh gosh you know if you go back on the seahawkers podcast we we talked right before the nfc championship game in uh in 2013 so that's this is the sixth or seventh year yeah, well, I'm glad that we can keep the tradition alive, man. It's, it's always fun. Always fun. Uh, looking forward to the game on Sunday, Oscar. Thanks once again. 